Hello everybody and welcome to the show. My name is Jeff Hayward and with my co-presenter Susie Rumbold of Tesuta Interiors, today we're talking diversity and interior design. The recent horrific killing of George Floyd in the US and the worldwide protests that followed have sparked a long overdue discussion in the UK about the lack of opportunities afforded to black, Asian and minority ethnic people in every aspect of their lives, including their careers. Interior design is one industry sector which could certainly be accused of being a wasp's nest. Pale and female, although possibly not stale, visit any interior design show in the country, for example, and you will often find yourself in an unbroken sea of white faces. So, how difficult is it to be a BAME designer working in the interior design profession today, and what barriers are encountered by young BAME people trying to get started in their design careers? Welcome to the interior design business. out firsthand and discuss some possible solutions to the issues of diversity and inclusion in the profession, we are delighted to be joined today by design career consultant Simon Hamilton and Charmaine White of the White House Interiors. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Good stuff. Now, um, first question, how did you each find your path into interior design? Charmaine, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I I knew um, from a very early age, well, I say very early age, um, high school, actually, that I wanted to um, have some kind of career in interior design. I remember sort of reading fashion magazines and I was only ever really interested in the sort of little home sections that they would have at the very, very back um, of these magazines. And I, after high school, went to university and did my degree in textile furnishing design and manufacturing for interiors so we did things like weaving and printing all that sort of stuff everything to do with interiors upholstery Um, and after university i found out or discovered uh, klc school of design which is where i trained and did my diploma in interior design and decoration Um, whilst i was doing my diploma i was fortunate enough to get various internships um, and worked for a few uh, interior design companies uh, all over London or a few around London to gain my sort of experience as well within the industry to back the training that I got from the KLC. And then in 2012, I sort of started doing little mini projects of my own. And that's when the White House Interiors was born, actually. Um, Little sort of projects of my own, starting from sort of like window treatments for, you know, small projects, um, then sort of growing into sort of doing rooms and then eventually into sort of whole home refurbishments. Um, so that's kind of been my path thus far, actually. Excellent, excellent. And and where do you do most of your work? Is it still in and around London? Uh, mostly Greater London and Hertfordshire, actually. So a lot of my projects just tend to be, yeah, Greater London and sort of like home counties. So Hertfordshire, I've had projects in Buckinghamshire, um, so, yes, yeah, sort of outside of central London, if you will. OK, good stuff. And Simon, what about you? I really have been always interested in art since I went to um, grammar school and we had a careers convention. And at that careers convention, I met um, a landscape architect and she was telling me about her job and she was um, saying how, you know, she was earning this much and it was really interesting. And at the time, my sister 
had moved to the States and she was working for an architectural practice in San Francisco. So that kind of sparked my interest. But I continued that love of art and I went to Middlesex Polytechnic and did a foundation course. So I was able to explore different avenues within art and design and discovered that interior design was something that I had a real passion and love for. And I was going to stay in London, which is where I was born, but I decided it was a good opportunity to leave home and explore other parts of the UK. And I went to Nottingham, loved it, signed up for the course there, which is a four year sandwich course, which meant that I had a one year uh, internment. And that was really attractive because it meant I had experienced whilst I was also learning and being a student. So that was great. And when I finished that, and that was in the late 80s, I came back to London and worked for an interior design practice in King's Cross um, called Cuts and Co. People thought we were hairdressers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then I went on to work for a much larger architectural practice, GMW, in Kensington High Street. And we were uh, a team of 25 interior designers. They call us fluffies within a big architectural practice. At the time, they were about... 400 staff so it was a big practice it was a sort of boom the 80s late 80s 90s met lots of people learned a lot and still some of those people are my friends now and that's how I got started so it was lots of commercial office interiors really and when recession hit early 90s redundancy but I was quite happy about that because I then freelanced for five years or so and got to know lots of different people and experienced working in different practices. So that was really interesting and uh, sort of a a new way of discovering what was going on in London and networking and um, building up my contacts and experience of different design. Again, it was still commercial offices mainly. And then I hit a point where I did get quite sort of jaded by interior design, as in it sort of became a bit repetitive and I didn't really enjoy it as much as I did when I first started. So that's when I entered the world of uh, recruitment for designers. But because I'd been working in lots of different practices, I had first-hand knowledge of different companies. So that was a a period where I thrived mid-90s, working in central London, recruiting for people at all sorts of levels and all different types of practices. And that was, again, a good way of building a network and knowing people. and that was with Adrem. They were one of the leading uh, recruitment agencies at the time. Really enjoyed that. Worked with them for quite some time and moved around to other agencies just to see what it was like. It was not the same. Then another kind of turning point was I had an accident. I was knocked off my scooter and it really did stop me in my tracks in every sense of the word. So mm. I I took some time out. I was fortunate enough to sort of be able to do that and decided it's time to start my own practice. So I started with residential clients. So that was sort of early 2000s. And that was a good time to be doing that. And I had one client that I got by literally walking around houses, putting in postcards through letterboxes. I think mm-hmm. I had 400... <laughs> Yeah, 400 postcards, and I had one oh one client from that. But that client then gave me work for about five years, oh, and she was fantastic. And uh, she recommended me to her sister, her MD, um, to lots of other people. So it was lots of word of mouth, and it was a great time. I had a small team. Brilliant. I had different offices. I had started working at home. Then I was in Southwark Street, and then eventually I was in Shoreditch in Curtin Road. 
and shared in an office with uh, Michael O'Sullivan, another interior designer. So I've done a lot of different things and I've worked for people. I've been, been an employer and I've also, as you know, been involved with the British Institute of Interior Design. And that was a voluntary role. And at the time, I didn't know how I did, found the time to do it, but I loved it and it was great. And I was the international director. So it meant representing designers abroad, going on trips and talking to different people in different countries about British design and realizing that it was highly respected in other parts of the world. Our education system is very well respected. And that was very fulfilling. Um, so that kind of took me up to 2013, 2014, um, by which time the market had changed again. And I had decided because of some unfortunate experiences with certain clients that it was now time to move on from being an interior designer because I had learned a lot and uh, an opportunity came up to work in Hong Kong for ADREM. They were setting up an office there. So it was going back into recruitment, but being a director, setting up the office. I've always been into travel. I loved uh, Hong Kong when I visited before and it was a perfect opportunity to sort of start afresh. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, even though I did try very hard for a year. And um, we even sold our house here in London and moved to another small house because we were downsizing and not going to be here so we as me and my partner invested um, a lot emotionally financially but it didn't work out but that's fine because now I'm in a situation where I have gathered everything that I've learned over the years and I now run a sort of consultancy which is giving designers advice about their careers their portfolios their CVs interview preparation etc and that mm. um it has kind of brought together all of the experience and skills that I have. It's full, full um, and it's, yeah, full circle. And it's something I can do online because I've been forced to. Because mm. before the, the whole pandemic and the lockdown, I was having face-to-face -face, um, consultations with different clients. And that was very nice. You know, have a two-hour session, talk to them on a personal basis in detail about their CV, what they could do to enhance it, what people are looking for, employers, etc how they could actually um, enhance what their, their skills are and, um, and really get a foot in the door. And then um, also port portfolios. But then, of course, we've had to do that online and um, it still works quite well, actually. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. And yeah, it has kind of gone full circle, which has been very um, rewarding. And I've also been a visiting tutor and that's probably one of the most um, exciting and rewarding things I've ever done is teaching people about design. So, Simon, as, as someone with, with just such a wealth of experience, what would you say are the, are the biggest barriers um, faced in the industry by those from BAME backgrounds? I would say it's kind of obvious there's not many people that are represented. There's not many obvious role models. There's not many people that are like myself and Charmaine that are out there, that are visible, that are in magazines, that are being selected to um, be the person that is designing a stand at a big international exhibition. Um, it's that that is a huge barrier. So if there is more visibility, then people think, oh, I can identify with that. That's somebody that I can relate to. Perhaps I can do what they have done. I mean, I have yeah. to say one thing that's really important is that my education was uh, state education is not private at all, but it's very different to my brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of five and played 
by the chance and geography, we moved house when I was five years old and that changed everything. So I went to very good supportive schools in that area and we were still living in North London, but a very different part of North London. My brothers and sisters were still going to a very bad school, which was actually racist and not supportive and, and, and didn't encourage them. Whereas where I went, they had good teachers. It didn't matter what background you had. And it, as I say, it wasn't a private school. So everyone was a, a, available and welcome. And it changed the way I am in compared to my brothers and sisters. I'm the only one who went to university. I didn't even think twice about it. It was just what I automatically would do because my, my peers did it as well. And I think that is the key to it. It's kind of giving somebody a really positive start. And it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Access to aspirational education? Yeah, it's yes. access to education, it's access to opportunities. It's even just like thinking, oh yeah, I can do that because I can see someone else that's doing it. It's as simple as that. And Charmaine, what about the, the actual structure of the interior design industry? Do you think that in itself presents barriers? I do, I do. Um, I agree with what Simon says about the sort of visibility and I think it's sort of visibility at every level. Um, you know, things like trade shows, you know, as you say, the very few people on the stands or even in the crowds that are, you know, black or, or from ethnic other ethnic minorities. Um, the structure, you know, when you're sort of looking at television shows, magazines and all of that sort of things, you know, the, the editors are white, the contributors are white. There isn't, very, you don't see, you know, BAME designers or creatives in any of these areas really so I think as Simon said the visibility is important and it has to be at every level so that young people can see themselves and see you know role models in these areas so that they can absolutely aspire to becoming you know a designer or an editor or whatever it might be within the industry does that make sense yeah no it makes complete sense and then since since I mean since um George Floyd's incredibly tragic death there's been an enormous kind of momentum building up and lots and lots and lots of stuff is happening how how do you see how do you feel the momentum for changes building within our sector within interior design it's very sad actually that something like this had to happen in order for the conversation to be ignited firstly Um, however as you say the momentum is there um, in the sort of growing awareness and education of of non- black and, and, and white designers, let's say, um, about the issue, which is a good thing. I, over the last month, have been contacted and, you know, um, people connecting with me. And I can confidently say that I, I feel as though this has happened. You know, I've been offered various opportunities and things. I feel that this has happened as a result of said movement um, mm-hmm. and that this wouldn't have happened if I were white. You know, I would have been offered these things based on, the merit of my, you know, experience, qualifications and all of those sorts of things. So what the movement is doing is opening the eyes of the industry to BAME designers and creatives who have, you know, always been there, but weren't necessarily being recognised. Weirdly, it's actually increasing your visibility? Yes, I have. The, the, honestly, the conversations and, the, you know, people, the amount of people who have been contacting me off of the back of this and wanting to have conversations and hear my opinion on certain things over these last three weeks has been incredible, actually. Um, but, you know, I welcome it because for me, whereas, you know, 
when I was a student and again being a designer and going to trade shows and all these sorts of things I sort of very I felt very isolated um I didn't you know know how to have this conversation before this movement so I'm I welcome the conversations and you know people asking me my opinions about what's going on and all of that sort of stuff what do you think Simon yeah, I was going to say I agree with Charmaine uh, totally. I've had so many people contacting me and calling and giving me opportunities and connecting and people that some I know, but some people that I don't know that would not necessarily have reached out to me because they either felt awkward about it or it wasn't even on their radar. And I agree mm, again, it's yeah. very sad that it's had to take something so dramatic and tragic to make people aware and some people that have been in touch with me they said that they didn't even realize that this was such a deep deep issue in the UK mm. they were more aware of it perhaps of what happens in the US in America. Because, yeah yeah because yeah. we've been aware of uh you know the separation and segregation and and the antagonism that's going on for, for decades over there but it's sort of been a little bit more underground to a degree over here and yeah. and some of those people have felt guilty. The white people who felt guilty, who are in the design industry, saying, "Well, what can I do? Because I don't want this to carry on. I thought everything was fine, you know, because we're kind of liberal, we're open-minded, we're creative, we're yeah. we're embracing." But actually, they didn't realise that people are going through very bad situations if they go for an interview or if they even get one, or yeah. um, you know, there's prejudice and things like that that happen. And that, it happens to me, and it has happened to me a lot over my life. And some of those things have resurface because some of them have been unpleasant that I've literally sort of buried because you just don't want to dwell on them you want to be positive mm. and as Charmaine said people weren't having those conversations because they didn't know how to whereas now there's an arena where everyone can talk about these things and not feel like you're being too political not feel like you're being the, the kind of special case or the yes, uh, yes, uh, yes. awkward one but actually this is something that is something that needs to be discussed it affects all of us and it is uh, a positive thing in some ways because now everyone is actually being honest about how the industry has been and I've had situations which not just to do with race but also class and <laughs> and that's something else that comes into design and that's mm, very that's, much that's a whole other podcast, yeah. 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 Other podcast. <laughs> but it is something that I've experienced because people relate my color to my class so um so they would make assumptions and i'm talking very much about the london design scene so there's certain areas and people would assume because i'm black i might have a certain attitude to things or in a certain approach and they'd be wrong until they speak to me and then uh, and so that's something that should be addressed as part of this whole um conversation and movement really so yeah, I think I there's so many things that we have in common that you know having the visibility when you go to a trade show and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, why am I the only person here? Surely there's Absolutely. other black designers. Where are they? And I've discovered yeah. they are. There are lots of other black designers since the last month. There's lots of people that are doing really fantastic work and I've never heard of them. Where well, have they been? I think we said <laughs> that, didn't we, Simon? We said yes. that you know I hadn't. No, I didn't know anything other black designers really yourself mm. included until yeah. this conversation came about um yeah. so i've just too have discovered a lot of other black and ethnic minority designers out there who i just didn't yeah. know about yeah yeah 
And I would say that I've discovered also that in America, they do have some more sense of community amongst black designers. That's something yeah. I've discovered. Yeah, and do. that exists already. They have an organization, yes. And that's yes. something that I didn't even know about. Yeah, the, the Black Interior Design Network is, is very strong. They've been going for years. Yeah. So as a first step over here, the BIID has just announced the launch of a diversity and interior design survey. How do you think the industry is going to support that initiative? Um, I would say that there's going to be a mixed reaction. Some people yes. will jump on it and say, yeah, I need to do this and I'll be seen to be doing the right thing. Other people will perhaps have more depth and thought about it and be real. And I think, I would hope, though, that overall there's there's a, um, a wish and a desire for it to be something that's long term, that is that we don't have to have this conversation in a few years time, that people yeah. really want things to change. And that when they are thinking about um, employment or opportunities or, you know, writing articles or who they should um, collaborate with, that they, they cast a wider net. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I agree with you there, Simon. I think all, um, you know, or as many of the sort of BIID members as there are at the moment should, you know, support, and indeed complete the survey, as well as, you know, any BAME designers and creatives who aspire to be members, because I think the BIID need to really hear it from both sides. Um, yes. Yes, yeah, definitely. To be honest, yeah. No, I was just going to say that, that this is the, the getting the getting the information from the survey will be key to understanding the yeah. scale of the problem within the industry because there's there's unfortunately at the moment we just don't know you know we we suspect and we kind of know it's bad but nobody actually has any scale any idea of, of, of the scale of the issues so as a first step you know it's going to be so important for the whole community to come behind this survey yeah. Yeah. irrespective of whether they're BID members or not. So that you know, we've got the we've got the information that we need to actually say right that's the benchmark now where do we go yes yeah, yeah. absolutely and Charmaine you were one of the uh, 140 plus signatories of the open letter to the institute that was from interior designers across the country Simon I know you're heavily involved in the United in Design group um, yeah. do you want to just tell us a bit more about those two organisations Charmaine do you want to do you want to go first about that open letter group. Yeah, so um, Sarah from Soul Design, it was an initiative. I saw it on uh, on Instagram and I sort of read the open letter and I think it's very sort of clear in what, you know, Sarah and the other 140 designers are asking from the BAID and it's, you know, it, I, I couldn't sit here and break down all of the requests, but I think for me when I sort of look at, the list of things that we're sort of asking the BIID to sort of take a look at and take initiative with is things like the mentor mentorships. Um, and we sort of said before about the sort of education, um, you know, a lot of young people mightn't aspire to a career in design if they don't know that it's even possible. And this, you know, comes back, oh gosh, we could unpack it all, all day really, but this comes back again to visibility. So, you know, there are a lot of things that they ask for. And one of them is, you know, mentorships and commitments from other industry leaders um, with regards to sort of events and things. So, you know, having BAME designers on their panels, um, you know, when you sort of see in magazines articles where they sort of ask the expert, instead of seeing the same five experts every month in those said magazines, <laughs> let's, you know, mix it up a bit, you know, so... It's, it's very sort of clear what it is that they're asking. And I think, as I said, with regards to 
the survey as well. You know, it's important that not just, um, you know, BIID members get involved, but people who are wanting to either sort of get into interior design, especially famed designers and creatives, to sort of feed all of this in to the survey and so that the BIID are able to execute some of these things that are being asked of them. Mm -hmm. I think on that uh, visibility note, what's been really interesting from that open letter and also uh, from your group, uh, that United in Design group, Simon, is the media that have got behind it. You know, you've got House and Garden, I know, are heavily involved, but other event organisers. And I think that should have a positive uh, result in terms of visibility, don't you? I hope so, yes. I mean, United in Design hasn't been officially launched, but it's been set up at the moment by Sophie Ashby and Alexandria Dawley. And the, the whole reason behind it was to address the um, the lack of diversity in the interior design industry. And there's sort of specific attention to fame and low socioeconomic income communities. So it's really trying to say, okay, we know interior design exists, but we want more people from other areas to be involved in it. And how can we try and help them? And it's, as we've already said, it's through opportunities, it's through education, it's through role models, it's through mentorship as well and, and and other things as well so when that launches officially there'll be much more information about it but I think it's a, a good um, opportunity for people to be able to say um, again as Charmaine said you know rather than have the panel of experts that you always see and this is still happening even when you see zooms and webinars rather than wheel out the same people that you've heard and seen before get other people on board that are new and emerging and of course you don't have to say okay they're only being exposed because they're black but no they're being being shown and represented because they're talented and they're contributing something to the industry and they're running a business and they've got something to offer and they're coming from a different perspective and so you know it's putting it in the mix and make it even more colorful and more exciting and more diverse and and that's what's exciting about all of this so I, I do understand what issues have been brought up in that letter and that, you know, it's been a challenge to the BIID. But again, you know, it's it's about bringing up attention to things that are important, which that letter did, and then the responses to it. So I think the main thing is that we are all talking together. And I think collectively we do want the same, the same thing outcome. Yeah. 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 So what what kind of actions do you think are being called for? You talked about mentorship, Charmaine, and yeah. Simon, I guess with your work in, in careers, that's that's gonna be a big thing for, for you as well, isn't it? It is, yes. I mean, it's it's funny that, you know, I'm saying that I haven't seen many other people do uh talks and things like that, but I've been lucky. I've done that. I've done lots of talks, I've been on panel discussions, but I've always been the only one. And so when I'm, you know, consulting with designers, I want to say to them, okay, this is what's happened in my career and this is what could happen to you. And not promising them, but just trying to kind of guide people and give them advice. And that advice has come from real experience. So I think it's going to be a mixture of things because not everything will suit every person because it depends on where you're at. So I deal with students who are still on courses. I also deal with people that are changing careers they may have been in accountancy and now want to become interior designers so they've discovered their creative streak and so they're transferable skills and it's helping people like that so 
there's quite a broad range of people that I work with, which was exciting, as well as you know the interior design school and other um, institutes, and and it means that there is going to be hopefully a sort of collective um, feeling that yes, if um, there are more visible designers from other backgrounds, then it gives it gives people hope, I, th- I suppose. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky. I've written articles, I've appeared in magazines, um, but it's always been a solitary thing. Um, and some of that I've done literally off my own back. And I've put together a seminar or a presentation in a showroom in Clark and Well, for instance. And that was based on sort of design trends. And I happen to have good relationships with certain suppliers and got an audience and it's fantastic it's very rewarding um and it would be lovely to see other designers do that going back to these other initiatives Charmaine can you tell us a bit more about the design for diversity pledge so the pledge um is another initiative there's been so many and I'm sort of trying to keep up with all of them um (laughs) this is a pledge that and I've actually witnessed over the last sort of week two weeks that it's been launched that um a lot of brands and businesses have been making pledges and bearing logos on their websites, um, pledging visibility, opportunity and accessibility um, within their companies. Um, so, you know, this again talks about um, opportunity. So, you know, things like employment, that's obviously number one and things like accessibility. So again, accessibility to being involved in whether it be collaborations or panel talks and discussions and that kind of thing so it's just one of many things that are happening at the moment as part of the sort of momentum of the discussion that's being had at the moment um and you know as i said it's not my initiative but i've been very sort of involved with the other people who have started it up and i'm really sort of excited by some of the brands and and businesses that have signed up actually some that you mightn't have expected to see so that's been a really good thing if our listeners wanted to find out more about the design for diversity pledge where would they go for more information rukmini patel and also kate watson smythe from mad about the house so they launched it as i said i think it's a week or two ago and as i said the amount of brands and businesses that they've actually managed to get on board and have made the pledge and already sort of displaying the logo on their website is fab so either one of those two on instagram that's where i sort of learned about it you can see all of the information there fab yeah what else do you think is going to be key simon i well i was also going to mention design dialogue um, because that has been set up as a channel for design connectors. It's really trying to get people together and share information and ideas and expertise. So that's a much bigger sort of discussion, but it also includes the issues that we've been talking about, about diversity and inclusion. And I've been brought in to that because I've been very proactive about trying to gather people as joining, it, because it's an open discussion. It's something that's been online. And I, I have to say, they're a very impressive cohort of, of professionals that seem to be getting involved with that. It is, yeah, because you get people from British Council, the V&A, you get people that have influence and are, are, are talking to government. And I think that's also something that is important and key. You know, it's set up by Will Knight and Martha McNaughton, and they have gathered a, a very good group of people. And it's open to everybody. That's what's so fantastic about it. And not just in the UK but people from abroad. And we've been talking online for a few months about 
the issues in design in all sorts of areas, not just about race, but also about, you know, what is design and is it important and how does the public engage with it? And should we be patting ourselves on the back and how accessible is it? And all those sort of things. And what's come from that, uh, and again, like Charmaine said, I've been invited by certain people because of um, all this conversation that's been going on. But from the design dialogue, I was then able to um, listen to Matt Collins. He's a designer. I've never heard of him before. And he's an up-and-coming uh, black designer that is based in the North. And we've connected because of the conversations we've had in Design Dialogue. And, and he was saying things about opportunity representation. So again, there's things that are offshoots. And I think that's really healthy because there isn't really just going to be one movement. There have to be a, a number of combinations of things because of geography and because of availability and time. But yeah. I think what we've all picked up on is that we're all going in the same direction. And yes. I think we all have the good, same positive intention. Um, and it, uh, it seems to be that now we can all talk openly. And and I think, yes, if people have ideas, then why not let's discuss those? Because not all of them can work, but it, it's just really nice to be able to talk about it. Yeah. 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 And how quickly do you think we'll start to see changes or, or have you seen change already? Um, well, I think we're seeing change in the fact that the conversation has started, as I said before. It's something that I've been aware of, but never knew who to talk to about it. So, um, yes, we're definitely seeing, you know, momentum and change is sort of starting in terms of these initiatives and pledges and various other things. But it's hard to say because change needs to be permanent. And the only, you know, we can only measure change once we've sort of seen it happen, as I say, when it's a bit more permanent. So as Simon said, it would be interesting to see off the back of this, because obviously it's been a very strange year, you know, what mm. happens in, in, in sort of some of the shows next year. So, you know, whether it be Focus at the Design Centre or Clark and World Design Week and all of these sort of things, it will be interesting to see if the conversation is still being had and if any changes have or are being implemented by those times. And would you have any advice, um, Simon, for any designers and brands who, who want to get involved? What's What would be your best advice? I would say, ask why this matters. That's what I'd say, first of all. Why does this matter to you? Uh, why are you doing this? Um, so that's the key question those brands um, and designers should ask themselves. Um, and then I would say, if you're a practice, you should sort of look at your own practice and how you've set it up and uh, take any steps that you might need to change the way you set it up or your policies or your mission statement um, to make it more inclusive. So that if you are perhaps advertising for somebody to join your company, you you can't positively discriminate, but you can at least say, yes, we're an equal opportunities employer, which is a very simple line, but it does it does mean so much because I've applied to jobs, even as recently as last year when I wanted to kind of do some more freelance work. And if it didn't say that, I thought, oh, right, they're not going to even respond to me. And that's what happens. They don't respond to you. And that's, wow. that's, that's not even to do necessarily with race, but that could be to do with age um, as well. So there's discrimination going on that part. And that's what I mean about you know, diversity and inclusion for me is, is not just about race, but it's about age, it's about disability or ability and other things as well, sexuality, all sorts of things. And, you know, so yeah, it's a huge subject. But I think, yeah, 
brands and designers should ask what matters. They should ask why it matters and then what, and then how can they make a lasting difference? And that would be a good starting point. And once you answer those questions internally, then you can kind of say, okay, this is who we are. How can we connect with you? How can we help? And Charmaine, have you got anything that you think we should add to that? I think Simon said it very well. And actually, Sorry. you know, no, 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 no. And I think, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's exactly that. Is it, why does it matter to you? And don't be afraid to answer the question. You know, it might feel yeah. awkward, but it's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. okay to ask that question because like I said, I know I've wanted to talk about this subject for quite some time now, but just didn't know how to broach the subject. So the fact that I'm now being asked is fantastic. You know, just ask the question. Don't feel awkward about it. It's absolutely fine. That's great advice too. Thank you both so much for coming on the show and for sharing your perspectives with us. We're right behind you. Thank you. Thank you. That Thank means you. a lot. Thank you so much. And it's been really, it's been really good for you know um, to be invited to talk about this. Thank you very much for yeah be part of this. Thank you so much to Charmaine and Simon for their wisdom and insights. My takeaway is that we all need to examine our own businesses to make them as inclusive as they should be so that future trade show visits, events and the media reveal a much more diverse industry at work for the benefit of all. I completely agree with that, Susie. Thank you so much, Charmaine and Simon, for your contributions today. We'll have links to the initiatives that we discussed available with this episode. So if you want to find out more and be part of this transformation, you can. You can find the interior design business on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on-demand services everywhere. We're on Twitter at InkDesignPod and on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. We support Design for Diversity. We support United in Design. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production. Mm-hmm.